We started last Sunday a, a, a book series, a preaching series through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. We're going to be walking through those uh, over the next few weeks, really over the next few months. Uh, so I invite you to turn with me to the book of Ezra, right after, um, uh, it's right in the Old Testament there, uh, Chronicles, Kings, and, and all, of, all of those places, uh, you'll find Ezra. Um, if you need help, there is no shame, there is no shame, and nobody should be looking around, or if they are, they'll give you a fist bump. Right? There's no shame in going to that table of contents and finding out what page it is in your Bible and uh, turning there. For me, Ezra chapter 3 is, in, uh, is on page 448. That is probably not helpful to you, but if it is, chances are we have a similar Bible. Um, so, uh, Ezra chapter 3, this, this chapter is really broken into two sections, but what I want to get you thinking about this morning is this. Have you ever wanted to just start over, right? Let me see some hands. How many of you have just wanted to start over? All right, maybe, maybe start over in a relationship, right? Maybe start over in a job. Maybe you're coming in here this morning. I would just like to start this Sunday over. Amen? Anybody? Okay. I might be in that camp, right? Uh, or, 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 you know, a football season. I'm sure the Patriots are kind of saying today, man, we'd love to, we'd love to have last Sunday back, right? Um, anybody? Okay, okay, awesome, awesome. Um, but, 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 but no matter what, right, we are all familiar with the idea of kind of starting over, starting fresh, uh, or as one commentary put it this week, starting anew, right, starting anew. And I love, and we see it all throughout Scripture, right, that God is a God of second chances, right, third chances, fourth chances, forgiving 70 times 7, right? We see this all throughout Scripture, the life of Jonah. We see it all throughout Scripture in the life of Moses and the Israelites. We see it all throughout Scripture in Peter, right? All throughout Scripture with the life of Paul, who was persecuting Christians. We see it time and time and time again that God is a God of second chances. And many of us love, and I know I've talked about this before, it's been a while, but many of us love a comeback story, right? A comeback story. We love the movies with the happy endings where, you know, the team loses in the first part of the movie or Rocky gets beat in the first part of the movie and then he trains and you see the training montage of like four and a half minutes and all of a sudden he becomes the best fighter in the world, the Italian stallion again, and he takes him out, right, towards the end of the movie. And, and Adrian, right? I mean, we, we, we love... We love, we love, we love a comeback story. And the reality is, in the life of Christ, in our spiritual lives, the beauty of our spiritual lives is each and every one of us is a comeback story. Come on now. Come on, y'all going to have to get a little bit more excited about that, right? Okay, because, because it's, it's, it's Sunday, okay, and I like responsiveness because it equals you're not sleeping. Okay? Some of you are already there. Okay. All right. But we like a comeback story, and the truth of the matter is, and the reason I think we like a comeback story is it gives us hope. Because we're all a comeback story. Born into a sin nature, right? Out of the image of God, after the image of God, but born into a sin nature, and yet there is hope for forgiveness, there's hope for freedom, there's hope for joy in who? Jesus. Good job. Pat yourselves on the back. You've learned something. Anytime a pastor asks you any question in church, the safest answer is Jesus. It's never wrong, right? Right? 
But through the hope of Jesus, we have our own comeback story, eternal life in Christ, right? So let's look at Ezra chapter 3. Let me bring you up to speed just for a little bit in case you weren't here last Sunday, missed last Sunday, um, or were listening online and you saw it was 57 minutes and you only made it through 40. Um, Sorry about that. We're going to try to beat that today, okay? All right, Ezra chapter 3. The people of God had spent many years in captivity because of their sin. Pop quiz. How many years? Seventy. Awesome. I heard somebody say it um, with, a, with a little bit of excitement. Okay. The people of God had spent 70 years in captivity because of their sin, but yet God had promised them and given them the hope that they were going to bring, that they were going to come back to the promised land, that they were going to rebuild the temple. And King Cyrus, under the direction of the Lord, offered uh, to send people back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Now, I want you to notice a couple things and highlight a couple things that we talked about last Sunday. Is that all right? Good, thank you. God used an ungodly king to restore his people. Now, that's huge. That's huge for us, right? Because you've probably heard me talk about this, that the church is the only army that shoots his wounded, right? We are quick to, to judge people of God, um, men of God, women of God, and, de- and decide in our own infinite wisdom and knowledge how righteous and effective they are. It just got tense. (laughs) But here's what we got to remember, church. God is so powerful that He can use anything or anyone. And here, He uses an ungodly king in Cyrus to bring the people back from captivity, and get them back to work on building the house of God. And so here's something that we need to take away. God can use anyone, even if I don't think so. Okay, that was free. All right, second thing that I want to remind you of is that God even put him, God even put him to do the work and pay for it. God even put in him to do the work and to pay for it. God gave him everything he need he needed to accomplish the task in front of him. And that's the church of today. Right? Well, every time I go to um, Johnny and Friends and and speak to all the, the missionaries, right? And, and they're all sitting there intimidated, especially if this is their first time, right? Serving families affected by disability can be pretty intimidating, right? And especially when you're, you're, when you're giving your life and, and, and your whole week and your whole time. And, and one of the things I always make sure that I say to the group of people that are there to volunteer is that God has given you everything you need to do what he's asked you to do this week. God has given you everything that you need. So, church... God has given you everything that you need to accomplish the mountain that's in front of you. To take it. God has given you, and that's not prosperity gospel, that's promise of God. That's something you may need to preach to yourself a little bit more often. That God has equipped me with everything that I need. Whether I feel like it or not, whether I believe it or not, God has equipped me with every tool that I need to accomplish what he's put in front of me. And so God used this ungodly King Cyrus and gave him everything that he needed to accomplish what was in front of him. People, money, resources, everything. And he raised up people to do the work. Now, I love that. I love that. God raised up people 
to do the work. Have you ever gone to somebody and, uh, and, and, and said, you know, hey, I've got this, I've got this great idea. Right? In fact, I was listening to a sermon on Friday that was talking about how we love to go with God, go to God with these great ideas that we have, right, and ask him to bless them. You see where I'm going with this? Instead of getting in your prayer closet and saying, God, what do you want me to do? Come on, come on, come on. We haven't even gotten into the good stuff yet, and I feel like I'm already preaching, okay, right? But God raised people up to do the work. It, wa- it, wasn't, it wasn't King Cyrus going and calling these people saying, hey, the time is now. And the people looking back, okay, King Cyrus, let us know when you've got a build, built and we'll come back. We'll worship with you. He raised up people to do the work of ministry that God had ordained for the people to do. You got that? The work was a work of God, and it was to be done in unity. And when God has a work to do, he has a specific job for every person. We saw in chapter 1 and chapter 2, if you read it, okay, that God gave builders, givers, artists, ministers, leaders, and even singers had a job to do in rebuilding the temple. We're going to see more about that today. We're going to see more about that today. So let's read Ezra chapter 3, starting in verse 1. When the seven month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Now, what does that mean? They were unified. They gathered as one. One purpose, one mission, one task at hand. That reminds us of, of, of New Testament, right? There's one church, one God, one Father, one of, of all, right? You remember that? Okay. And so they gathered as one to Jerusalem. Then arose Jeshua, the son of uh, Josadak, with his fellow priest, and Zerubbabel. There's that name again. Love that one. Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, uh, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of God, of the God of Israel. Okay, we're going to come back to that in just a minute. To offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. And they kept the feast of booths, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number, according to the rule, as each day required. And after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon, and at all the appointed feasts of the Lord, and the offerings of everyone who made a free will offering to the Lord. And y'all think we, us taking one offering a Sunday is bad. Not the same thing, Pastor. I know, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Verse 6, from the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. Underline that, star that, that's super important for what we're going to talk about today. Verse 7, so they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians, excuse me, Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa according to the grant that they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. So they had a grant writer and they wrote this grant to the king and he, no, okay. All right. So I want you to notice a couple things here, right? First of all, let's deal with all the offerings, okay? Now, difference in the Old Testament and New Testament. Anybody tell me? 
Jesus, good job. Man, Whew. awesome, awesome, okay? Jesus, right? What's the significance about Jesus as we look at the altar in the Old Testament, and we don't really see that in the New Testament, okay? The difference is this. In the Old Testament, they followed the cloud by day and the fire by night. That was the presence of God. In the Old Testament, they had these things called high priests. What what was their significance? That they would go to God on behalf of people, right? And that there were certain times that they believed that, that, that God would hear prayers, that God would answer promises. And so they started these festivals, they started these offerings, they started all of these things morning and night, it says, because there were, there were, there were ceremonies to go through so that God could hear the prayers of the people and respond. Okay, quick summary. All right, fast forward, Jesus is born Savior comes, Savior pays the debt of sin, Jesus pays the debt of sin, buried and resurrected three days later to live in us, giving us the presence of the Holy Spirit, Matthew, uh, excuse me, John 14, 15, the helper is coming. The significance of that is we no longer have to go to a high priest to go to God on our behalf. We, never have, we, we no longer have to do all of these ceremonies and these foot washings and all of these things to be ceremonially clean before we go to the presence of God. Why? Because if you're a believer in Christ Jesus this morning, if you're a Christian, you have the presence of God living inside of you. Isn't that awesome? That's something to celebrate. And so, and so I, I did a message a few year, years ago on the Holy Spirit. And I talked about how many of us can't wait to get to heaven, right? We want to have some conversations with people. Like some of you want to talk to David. Some of you can't wait to talk, you know, Solomon. Some of you want to talk to Paul, right? I can't wait to find Peter, right? I want to sit with that dude and talk about what was it like for Jesus to make you breakfast at, um, at post-resurrection when you went back to fishing. I, I, I want to sit down with him around a fire. Maybe Peter can make me some, some, some fish and chips for breakfast, okay? And we could talk about it right? But the reality is, I believe those men and women, Mary, Martha, uh, Old Old, Old Testament folks, Jonah, right? They're going to come running to you and say, what was it like to have the presence of God living inside of you each and every day? Woo! I mean, we talked about it last Sunday. Is anything impossible for God? Yes. Do we live like it? Not always. Thank you for your honesty. Right? Same thing. We have the presence of God living inside. We have access. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in you. That's the significance here. And so these folks were going through all of these, 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 these offerings and all of these things. But I want you to notice, second thing I want to point out from this passage, um, th- these first seven verses, is this. What they build first. The altar. The altar. I mean, it says there clearly, I think it's verse 6. It says there clearly, yeah, verse 6. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. And they built the altar. Why? Obviously, two reasons. Obviously, they wanted to build the house. They wanted to build the temple 
around the presence of God. They wanted Jesus, they wanted, excuse me, they wanted God to be at the center of the house. They wanted the focus, they wanted all the attention on the altar. Secondly, they were fearful. I mean, it, it, it says right there, and again, I mean, coming out of 70 years of captivity after living in sin, they're going to get this thing right second time around. We're going to center on God. We're going to make sure that he is the focus because we don't want to go back to where we come from. And so not only that, but they believed that if they made a place for the presence of God, first, that he would take care of them. Because no doubt, no doubt, no doubt, and we're going to talk about this more in just a couple minutes as we keep reading, no doubt they had to anticipate opposition. They had to anticipate opposition. Now, can I make a free correlation for you this morning? I think this is awesome. Some of you remember, and some of you have asked me questions, um, because we <clears throat> announced, I think back in May or June, that we were going to start Ezra, Nehemiah in July. Anybody remember that? Some of you confused as to why we went to Acts for so many weeks and thought pastor was just avoiding Ezra Nehemiah. Fair enough. Not the case, but fair enough. Okay. I think it's amazing because here we're talking about them laying the foundation. That's what verses eight through the end of the chapter is all about. And you know what's happening on Thursday? We're pouring a foundation. It's almost like God's in control. of what's going on here, right? I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't have lined this up. I'm not that good. But it's just amazing. Now, as I shared that this morning, as we were praying around here, Zan said, well, didn't they pause for five years after they laid the foundation? <laughs> we're going to talk about that next week in Ezra chapter 4, but, okay, every illustration breaks down somewhere, doesn't it? But I just think that I just thought that was pretty cool. Let's keep reading verse 8. Now, in the second year, after the coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, and Jeshua, the son of uh, Josedek, made a beginning. Together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come uh, to Jerusalem from the captivity, they appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua, with his sons and his brothers, and Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen in the house of God, along with the sons of Hinnadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. Verse 10. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord according to the directions of, king of, Israel, of David, king of Israel. Now, that gives me encouragement as a drummer. Because sometimes it's hard to play drums in church, right? Because many believe the devil's in the drums. But they had cymbals back in Ezra, okay? That, that, hopefully that encourages more people than just the drummers in the room. But it wasn't, it wasn't just a, it, 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 it was something that they were celebrating. Look, look, even further, verse 11. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout, 
when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Wouldn't that be something if we all showed up Thursday afternoon when they're pouring the foundation over at 26 Cressy Road in the building that we're building and we just started shouting, right? We just started shouting and these people are like, whoo, what kind of people are these? Well, I, I'll be over there. Y'all want to shout? Let's shout. It's biblical. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men. This is so significant, church. Whew, this is so good. Old men who had seen the first house wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy. I'm going to explain that for just a minute because I don't want to lose the moment. Why did the old men weep? They had seen the first house. They had lived 70 years of captivity waiting for this moment when God was going to rebuild the house. And they were overjoyed that they wept. Think about that. You think about that. You think about that. The reminder of what was and the anticipation of what's to come for these people overflowed in them that they wept. It wasn't that they were sorrowful. It's just that people sometimes respond differently with the same emotion but it expresses itself differently, right? You've seen that. We've seen that. Some were filled with joy. Some wept because of what they had seen before. What a beautiful picture. And then verse 13. So that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. There was unity here in the people of Israel coming back from captivity with anticipation to build the house. Beginning with the altar and then as the foundation was laid, the sound of shouting was so loud it could be heard from far away. There was unity and the people, they gathered together as one body in unity with one purpose to honor God and to do the work of rebuilding the temple. And what I want you to see here as we read these first three chapters of Ezra, as we, as we, as we dig into them just, just a little bit, nobody was in it for themselves. It says they were all united in the purpose of rebuilding the house in obedience to the Lord in obedience to where God had led them, in obedience to the promises of God that had taken them into captivity, yes, but also brought them out in the hope that they were going to rebuild. And their first work was to build an altar. Came before anything else. Came before anything else. A fresh start. See, see, church is for worship, isn't it? Where we come in, audience of one, 
Church is for worship. It's for evangelism. More people need to hear the gospel today than ever. And we could have said that 20 years ago. It was true 20 years ago. It'll probably be true 20 years from now. More people need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and the life-changing hope in Him than ever. Than ever. And discipleship through preaching and teaching the Word of God. Rebuilding the altar, rebuilding the temple. Ezra chapter 3 is all about a new beginning with God. All about a new beginning with God. And so this morning, as we read through this passage, I want to point out three things. Shocker. Always feels like it's three things. Right? I want to point out three things that I think are important when we think about new beginnings. As we think about new beginnings, as we think about the new beginnings of the fall and the school year, and we're kind of getting into the rhythms of things and, you know, all, 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 all of those things. I think we had our first five-day week this past week, right? So that's why all the teachers and the students in here are just struggling to stay awake. But as we think about restarting a new beginning, building anew, I want to point out three things from this passage. Is that all right? I'm glad you said yes, because I'm the one with the microphone, so you didn't really have a choice. Number one, put God back at the center. If you're at a place where you're beginning again, if you're at a place where you're restarting, if you're at a place where you're rebuilding, starting anew, starting fresh, you have the opportunity to put God at the center. Right? You have the opportunity to put God at the center of that relationship. You have, the, you have the opportunity to put God in the center of that perspective of going to work. You have the opportunity to put God back at the center. Now, think about this. When we decide on a new beginning with God, others are affected and inspired by what we're doing. What inspired nearly 50,000 Jewish people to leave Babylon and move back to start a new life in their former home? I mean, number, number one, that's what they've been waiting for, anticipation. But there also had to be a buzz. I mean, 42,360 people returned. Almost, like I said, almost 50,000. The 50,000 was probably pastor. Anyway, 7,337 servants, 2,000. Can you imagine this? I mean, I've heard a choir of maybe 100, 120, but 2,000 of them were singers. That's why they heard it all the way to Lewiston, <laughs> as they were shouting, because all the singers were competing as to who could hit the note loudest. I'm not a singer, so I can't talk. Right? 2,000 singers. And the nation of Israel was about as spiritually low as you can get. New beginnings, a fresh start was needed, and God had been calling them. God had been calling them. And so Cyrus, again, issues the decree permitting the Jews to return the land, and it began with restoring worship, putting God back at the center where he belonged. They wanted to build everything, like we talked about, around the presence of God. Secondly, look at verse 3. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands. The second thing, as we, as we think about beginning again, as we think about new beginnings, it's the thing that 
keeps many of us from continuing is, is we've got to expect opposition. We've got to expect opposition. I mean, especially, especially, I mean, think about this. Think about this. Especially if it is God's will for your life. Right? Because sometimes God is going to call you to do things that don't really make sense. That don't really add up. I mean, God is going God, God to call you to forgive that person that has wronged you royally. And there are going to be people in your life saying, you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. God is going to call you to invest in something, a mission or, 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 or some type of project or maybe a, maybe a building project that's happening right now. God's going to, right? And other people are going to be like, what are you doing? That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. That's not financially smart. God's going to call you to go on the mission field and to do this thing. God's going to, we got Marilyn Hickey on the mission field right now serving for an extended period of time. That's awesome, right? And I'm sure there were people that were like, are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure you want to go sleep on the floor for three months? Are you sure you want to eat rice every meal for the next 12 weeks? Like, I mean, Marilyn, think about this. At least take some protein, right? I mean, like, right? Expect opposition, especially, especially if you believe 1,000% you're in the center of the will of God. Because it will come. It will come. Your best friend won't come help you move. You'll get told to clean out your office two weeks before you were intended to. By, again, said best friend. And you're in the center of the will of God and you're sitting around thinking, why aren't people celebrating this thing that God has called me to do and they're just blacklisting me for what I believe I'm called to do by the will of God? Let me tell you something, you're not alone. You're not alone. Expect opposition. Expect opposition. Ezra expected opposition. Nehemiah had experienced opposition when he built the wall. The scripture says, despite the fear of the peoples around them. Romans chapter 7, verse 15, Paul says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. Sometimes opposition comes from our very own heart. But there's opposition from inside and outside of ourselves. It's inevitable. And the temptation to give up, it's real. Not to follow your own new resolve, and the word here is to, to press on in the things of God. No matter the fear, no matter the risk, if God is in it, expect opposition and keep going. I believe it's in Nehemiah, so we'll get to it in a couple months, which means you'll forget it by then, so I can tell it to you now, too. I think it's it in Nehemiah. I'm blanking on the specific passage, but when they, when they were rebuilding the wall, it says, it says that the builders had one hand rebuilding the wall and another hand on the sword. 
So they were so prepped for battle and opposition that they're rebuilding. It would have been so much more effective, I think, right? Because I'm, I'm, again, in my infinite knowledge and wisdom, right, have a team of people building the wall so they can use both hands and be more effective and have a team of people defending behind, right? No. It's far more, right, to rebuild one hand and have your own sword to protect yourself. They were expecting opposition. They were ready. They were ready. And then thirdly, thirdly, and this is just more of a statement that I kind of created into a point because I wanted to get the three points. <laughs> if you have a reputation, you might as well just live into it instead of fight it. Right? Number three, beginning again with God produces great fruit. Enjoy the fruit. Embrace the fruit. You've, 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 you've rebuilt, right? You've rebuilt. You've put God back at the center. You've expected the opposition. And it produces great fruit. It's amazing. When you're doing something for God, the people that will want to join in. God will give us great result when we see expectant faith. Right? They were unified in the work, and people joined in. Almost 50,000 people joined into the work. Again, <clears throat> some of you probably sitting there thinking, well, yeah, they wanted to get out of captivity. But they had been anxiously and anticipating this for 70 years because God had given them the hope that they were, were going to be freed and they were going to be, be able to get back into the house of God. And so there was an anticipation there. And they set forward the work. They were unified in the work. They, they appointed leaders in verse 8. They set forward the work. And, and here's the thing. Set forward. Look forward when you're beginning a new work. Not backward. Not backward. We've got to be looking forward. We've got to be looking forward. God has blessed us in the past, yes. And we're thankful for it. We should celebrate it. But we must set forward the work. Why? Because he's doing a new thing. Let us not get bogged down. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 7. We referenced this a little bit ago. I, therefore, Paul's talking to the church at Ephesus, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. Amen. How many of you are just eager to maintain unity? Right? You're just eager. More than you're eager to put in your two cents and your agenda and get your way, you're eager to maintain the unity of the bond of peace. No amens after that one? All right. Verse 4, there's one body, again in Ephesians 4, if you want to write that down, go check it out later for, for yourself. One body, one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. See, I, I love it. And I know, I know y'all are thinking, oh geez, man, pastor is just high on this new building and we're in the capital campaign and so that's the purpose of all of these no i want you to begin anew in your spiritual relationship with god like i'm far more 
excited about that than I am the foundation being laid. I've gotten way more jacked up about Sunday mornings over the last couple weeks than I have about pulling on to that land. Why? Because I'm excited about what God's doing in his house. Is the building a bride product of that? Yeah, I believe that. How are we going to pay for it? You, right? Just, that was a joke. (laughs) The last part was a joke. Just making sure you're listening. Some of you like, But here's the thing, as I've been talking about this over the last couple weeks and sharing the story about what we're doing and what God's doing, I've been looking back, not, not, not in the purpose of wanting to go back, right? Like who's, who's that country singer that has that song, I go back to the, nobody, nobody likes country, okay, very good. Kenny Chesney, is that it? Is that what you said, Matt? Okay, very good, thank you, Matt. I go back, not in the purpose of I want to go back and live it, because that's already been done. But what's God in the midst of doing right now as a result of what we learned, what we saw, what God did, who he brought around in that season, who he pruned that was really hard? but all part of his will and his purpose to get us to this very place so that we could be in his will and do what he's put in front of us to do for the glory of his name and the advance of his kingdom because of the hope that he has given each and every one of us. Oh, man. And telling the story of how we've gotten to this day as Summit Church over the last couple weeks has given me more anticipation and hope for what is to come. Because sometimes you've got to go back to when you're called. I was, I was, um, I, I was spending time with somebody uh, recently, and, and, um, and they said, uh, it's, it's a silly question. Let me explain. Let me just tell you the question he asked me, and then, and then I'll explain why he asked it that way. Right? But he said, tell me how you've lasted this long. Right? Because January would be 12 years that I've been a pastor in, in Maine, right? In Maine. And he, and, he's, and he explained his question, right? He said, tell me, how you've, tell, me how, tell me how you've made it. Tell me how you've lasted this long in the graveyard of pastors. He's not from around here, okay? So be, be gracious, okay? But in the graveyard of pastors, and the, and the average tenure for a pastor today is 18 months across the country. Okay, so 12 years, right? I'm beating the odds. Why? Because you're so gracious. Okay, right? No, don't clap. Don't clap. Don't clap. Don't clap. That's not the point. (sighs) Pastor Appreciation Month is next month, okay? You can clap then, okay? Once a year for a whole month. (laughs) Okay. Every moment, every moment, and they've come, full disclosure, honesty, every moment that I want to quit, somehow, some way, I'm pointed back to the moment that God called me. Because it is clear that God wanted me here. I mean, there's people out there that would say, I ruined their church. There's people out there that would say, and they did. 
I just got to relive this as I walked through the 10 most painful moments of my life with my counselor. Um, there were people that said, you're not supposed to be here. You are not my pastor. In my living room, across my coffee table. And in that moment where I wanted to look back at him and say, I agree. Get me out of here. Do anything. It was the call in Orlando, Florida. It was the call in my garage. It was the email when I told God I need an email by midnight and I got one at 11.56. It was the moment after moment after moment that God declared himself to me that I was to be here. That keeps me here. And sometimes you've got to go back to the moment that you're called. Summit has been called to what we're doing here. But also Summit's been called to much more than what we're doing here in building a building and pouring a foundation this week. Right? And we can't lose sight in all the opposition, in all the distractions, in all the temptations, in all of the good things and even the God things that want to come in. We, we, we can't distract ourselves from the specific calling that God has given Summit Church. Somebody asked me, they said, are you, are you not worried or concerned about this thing? No, I'm scared to death. But I have been ever since we merged. I have been ever since Summit was birthed. But somehow, we have stayed in the hand of God, and He has never once left us in want or need. And so as a leadership, we are so focused, I think, I hope, on staying right in the middle of the will of God. Why? Because it's been tested true it's been proven that it's going to be alright and so sit in the fruit of what he's done don't say I want to go back and live that because that's not the point you can't he did that so that he could get you to this place for what he's got for you next And so sometimes the biggest thing, not sometimes, what, what, we, what we see in Ezra as the biggest thing for these people going forward in obedience was where they had been. And the fact that God had promised them hope. They were called into hope. And they were obedient in going to where hope was. That would have been a better three-part sermon right there than what I had, because there was some alliteration in that. I hope somebody wrote that down, and you'll email it to me for the next time I preach on Ezra chapter 3. Okay? They were unified. And so listen. What did they sing? Let me spend, let me spend a couple minutes on this, okay? 
and then we'll, then we'll close. All right? I'm so far off my notes, it's not even funny. But I want to highlight this, because I want you to see verse 11. Can we throw up verse 11 on the screen? And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house was laid. They shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord. They gave thanks unto the Lord because He's good. Not anything specific. They didn't need to list anything specific because He is good for His mercy, they shouted. Even with mixed emotions, some wept, some shouted with joy. And it was okay. Because God was at the center. And so my, my prayer for you today is this. That if you're walking into a new beginning, if you need a new beginning, that you would walk out of here with your head held high a little bit. Because there's hope for you. There's hope for all of us. If we're willing to put God at the center of that new beginning, expect opposition and walk into the fruit that he has ordained beforehand for you, for your family, for us, his church. We must serve the Lord together in unity, in purpose, in work, in our worship. And so as the worship team comes, this morning we close. How do you need to start fresh? Where do you need to begin anew? Where do you need to clean the slate? Where do you need to go to somebody and say, you know what? I just need to start this thing over. Or this has ended and I just need to... I'm, I'm, be, I'm beginning from square one here. I'm rebuilding from nothing, from scratch. May you be encouraged today and have the hope that if you're a Christian in the room, you've got the power of Jesus living inside of you. And he's already promised victory. may not be victory in the way you think. That would be prosperity gospel. It may be victory in, in a different way. But he's won a victory for you. The victory for you. So it's going to be okay. It may hurt in the process of beginning anew. But it's going to be okay. You, you may may go through some hardship in the process of beginning anew. It's going to be okay. Because the presence of the Lord is with you. Because we see the promise in Scripture when it comes to Jesus. That while we were yet sinners, okay, so what does that mean? While we were yet broken, while we were yet incomplete, 
while we were yet in need of a new beginning, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet separated from God, Jesus died for us. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. So this morning, as we read about these Israelites going back, starting with the altar, seeing the foundation poured, and celebrating by shouting, a couple things. Number one, Thursday afternoon, let's go shout. I mean, I might, I might do it in the confines of my car with the windows up after 5.30 once everybody's gone home. What a beautiful thing. But all scripture points to Jesus, right? And so the hope here is that wherever you need to rebuild, the power to do so, the strength to do so, is not in you. It's not in the people around you or the support system or in your bank account or in your workplace. It is in Christ Jesus, our Lord, who loved you enough to save you, to create a pathway for you in your brokenness. In your brokenness. In your incompleteness. So I hope in that for me. And as your pastor, I desperately hope in that for you. And again, as your pastor, I hope that that is our central focus as a church going forward in everything that we do. Christ is at the center before the foundation is laid. He's in the middle. Because if he's not, whew, it's not worth it. So God, this morning, thank you for new beginnings. Thank you for new seasons. And God, I pray for each of us that we would appreciate a turning of a season. That we would appreciate a turning of a page. Because God, you say your mercies are new every morning, much less every season. God, you are constantly preparing us for what you're, you're doing in and through our lives every day. And we don't want to miss you. God, I want to be a part of it. I know there's people in this room that want to be a part of the new thing that you're doing in their lives. So help us not to miss you. Help us that if we've misprioritized or gotten you out of the middle, help us to make sure as we leave here today that you're the center. You're the center of our marriage. You're the center of our family. You're the center of our relationships, our friendships. You're the center of our focus at our workplace. You're the center. 
and that by your power, you'll give us the strength to stand and stay in opposition. And that we will walk in your fruit. And we'll celebrate it as your church for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray.